I have a challenge for you as we close We the Church out, and it's this. Unpack your bags. I lived a year of my life out of a backpack. Anybody done that? Live for a period of time out of a suitcase? It's fun and adventurous, and then it's exhausting. It's a hard way to live. I'll never forget getting home from that trip and setting that backpack down in my room at my home, and it wasn't just the weight of that bag that I set down. It felt like this peace just washed over me. I can unpack my stuff and leave it unpacked. I'm home. It's a great feeling. It's done something to me psychologically. You can ask my wife, every time we travel, when we get home, I immediately unpack. We walk into our house and I unpack my bag because I want my stuff back where it goes so I can get back into my rhythm and routine of life. I think a lot of us live our faith journey out of a suitcase, hopping from place to place, our relationship with the church, living it out of a bag, place to place, never unpacking our bags to just be the church. I think that a lot of the reason for that is because we just find it easier to critique the church than ever create within it. For a lot of us, I think we miss out on being the church because we're too busy bashing the church. We church hop our whole lives. We never unpack our bags and end up actually getting to be the church as we the church. My challenge to you is to unpack your bags and say we when we talk about the church. To live to be the church that Jesus has called us to be. When we moved down here, um, the first guy that I ever invited to anything our church was doing outside of the church was a guy named Brandon. We had a mutual friend. There was a bachelor party we both couldn't make it to. We both lived in Austin through the group text, figured that out, and met up the night of our friend's bachelor party. We had dinner and FaceTimed him. It was our first time meeting, and inevitably in that conversation, I told him, oh, I moved to Austin because I'm a pastor and I'm planting a church with some of my friends. And he kind of looked at me with the response that everybody does. Oh, great, cool, good for you with your church thing. And I invited him to come to our first pre-launch service and some events, and he actually showed up. He showed up, and then he kept showing up. And his faith sparked. He started reading the Bible. And one night he texted me and he said, I've got an issue, Bible question, something's wrong here. I'm reading Acts chapter 16. It's telling the story about Paul and some people traveling and saying things like, so they passed by Mycenae. They went down to Troas during the night. Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Keeps talking about Paul. They did this and they did this. He said, but then listen to verse 10. There's a perspective shift. It says, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. He's like, is there an error in my Bible? What just happened here? And I smiled because what had happened in this story is what was happening in Brandon's life. See, the book of Acts was written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts. And he set out as a doctor turned skeptical journalist to just go find out the story of Jesus, get to the bottom of this whole thing. And in the book of Acts, he's following the journey of the church and at some point he gets wrapped up in the whole thing himself. And it's no longer they, it's we. He is the church, the same thing that was happening to Brandon, who started serving, became a part of this church to this day as a core family member here. We all need our Luke moment, where we go from the sidelines to the field. You know what, I'm gonna be the church. It's messy, but I'm a part of it. Sometimes people are like, oh, I don't like to be a part of the church. Bunch of hypocrites. I'm like, it seems like you'd fit right in. <laughs> it's a bunch of imperfect people, right? All of us. We all need that moment 
There's a family that moved down here to help us start this church. They came from California from the church Ryan was working at, which just tells you a ton about their faith. They came with Ryan. And they got here, they bought a house, Tyler and Laura Hines. They, the second they walked into their new house, it seemed like everything went wrong. Undisclosed things about the house, all these expenses, all these things that started popping up. It was a nightmare situation. And they've gone through other things in their time since they left California to the point that we asked them eventually, like, why are you still here? Why are you still in Austin? And Tyler said something that is sewn into the fabric of this church. He said, we wanna tell our kids the story of why we stayed, not why we left. We're gonna be the church. This is what God has called us to be, even in, maybe especially in hard times. And when people live like that, it begs the question, why? Why would you do that? Why would you unpack your bags and be the church? And, and before I go any farther, just know this isn't a Red Rocks church sermon today. I'm not gonna ask you guys to sign in blood at the end that you're gonna be Red Rocks people for the rest of your life. This is a church sermon. In fact, if there's something in this church that distracts you from worshiping God, something that bothers you, we will help you find a home church where you can unpack your bags in this city. There are some great churches in this city. Find a community, find your flavor that works for you and unpack your bags and be the church. But why would you do that? Why would you be the church? Why would you give? Why would you serve? Why would you follow the Great Commission to go make disciples, make that what your life's about? Why would you do that? You could flip that the other way and ask, why do so many of us never do that? Why don't we worship? Why do we stay on the fringes? Why do we just critique rather than create? Never go all in, never be the church, never say we the church. Halfway in, walking away at some point, why? This is the crucial question of this whole thing and of our lives, right? Why are we doing any of this? Simon Sinek famously gave a TED talk about the why. Start with the why. Companies need to start with the why. He talked about the genius of Apple and their marketing has been that tech companies have always led with the what. This thing has these specs. It's really cool. Look at what this is. But Apple's marketing has always been those specs matter. Why? Because you get to experience the most important moments of your life through this device. This is along the ride for your cool journey through the slick marketing campaign, right? They give you the why, make you into an Apple person. It's a question that we have to ask ourselves, why am I doing any of this? Why would I unpack my bags? I think as the church, we're really good at sharing who we are. We're the church, we're followers of Jesus, we're Christians, that's who we are, bold, devoted disciples like we've talked about in this series. And we're pretty decent at the what, what does that mean? What do we do? We give, we serve, we worship together, we meet in groups, we break bread, we're generous, hospitable. But I think we're terrible as the church at letting the world know why we do all of this. What is the why behind this whole thing? I was thinking about that in terms of my life. I think a lot of people, a lot of us, we may not really know why we're doing it in the first place. Like I went and started going to church and it just, I guess I was supposed to do this and I was just told that and so I've done it and I wake up one day and go, why am I doing all of this? Some of us have our own why that we've attached the Jesus thing to to try to get him to fit into our why. I was thinking about my faith journey from the perspective of my childhood friends. We've got a core group of guys. We grew up together. They've watched my whole life. And it's been a little unfair to these guys because one of their best friends is now a pastor. And nobody outside of the church wants to be friends with a pastor. And they've known me through everything the good, the bad, the ugly. And I thought, I wonder, like, I think I, they know who I am at this point. 
I think they have an idea of what I do. Some of them don't go to church, so I think some of them probably picture me in like a weird robe or think that I moved to Austin to start a cult because I grew my hair long and part of some church thing. But I think they know a little of the who and the what in my life, probably have a good idea of that, but I wonder if they know why this is what my life's about. Why I'm a pastor, why I follow Jesus, why I'm a Christian, why I say we when I talk about the church. So I texted each of them this week. I said, hey, weird question. I wanna know why you think that I'm a pastor, why I follow Jesus, why, why am I a Jesus guy? Not fishing for compliments, be brutally honest. I wanna know. And I had some fear in me that their responses could be, well, I think that you did a lot of bad things and you're trying to make up for it now. I think that you get some attention for this church thing and so you found something that you could be on a stage for. Like shuddered thinking about them saying that. Well, I think that you're trying to prove something to God. Thankfully, that's not what they said, but they would have reason to. I've thought in my life, there's probably some people and the reason that they don't want anything to do with this whole church and God thing might be me because I've carried the wrong why. My buddy Eric texted me back. He said, uh, I think it's your calling. I've watched your faith transform you and I think you're trying to help other people find what they're missing. It's like, he's on the track to my why, yeah. My buddy Tommy said, because you long for something deeper than I could ever give you. <laughs> and if you knew Tommy, it's just... So on brand and perfect. He would, I didn't expect a serious response from him. My buddy Sean never texted me back, so thanks for nothing, Sean. Not that you'll ever watch this because you don't care about me. My buddy Robbie, who I have known since second grade, he called me right away after I texted him. He's like, hey, I'm on a long drive. I saw you texting me. What's up? It's like, oh, here we go. Okay. We'll just do a phone conversation. I said, hey, I, I want to know why you think I'm a pastor. But more so like, why do I follow Jesus? Why am I a Christian? Why is this what my whole life is about? Robbie and I talked for an hour about our faith. We've never done that before. I was seven when I met him. I have watched God transform and do so much in my life and I've never spent an hour telling him why I do this, why this is what it's all about. I got to ask him his why. He takes his family to church, one of our locations in Denver, it's awesome. I said, why do you go to church? It was an amazing conversation. I thought, why didn't I tell these guys a long time ago? My why? It, I want them to know who I am and what I do, but more importantly, I want them to know why I am who I am and why I do what I do. And maybe some people in my life, they haven't really been open to this conversation, maybe because I never showed them the, the why of this whole thing, the beauty of following Jesus. When I see the ways in my life that I've had the wrong why, I'd list it off with a couple things like this, to glorify myself, to promote myself, to prove myself. I want some attention for this, or I feel like I need to move myself up the Christian food chain. There's pride and arrogance in that, for sure. We get that in our why all the time, to make this about our thing and us. But I think it's all rooted ultimately in to prove myself because it, it comes from a deep insecurity that I'm actually not enough for God. I've gotta do all these things and try to prove myself to him, to earn something from him, because I don't believe I actually measure up. That kind of a life leads us to never unpack our bags because it will never satisfy us. There will be, never be enough for us. 
it won't work out because you'll live your life thinking, I gotta prove myself, and I keep hearing the gospel says that Jesus came for me, but I constantly feel like I have to make my way to the cross, even though it doesn't, I'm burning out on this whole thing. I wake up one day and go, why am I doing all this in the first place? I can't make my way to God. There's never enough attention and glory that people can give me that's gonna make me feel whole. I'm still insecure, so I'm not gonna unpack my bags. Maybe we don't unpack our bags because we've seen other Christians with the wrong why and go, I want nothing to do with that. That's why Doug had to preach a whole sermon last week about what to do when the church hurts you. To draw the distinction between the church is not Jesus, it's imperfect people that make a mess sometimes. Maybe the worst thing that's happened in Christian history was the Crusades. A thousand years ago, Christians, in the name of God who went and killed Muslim people, God did not ask them to do that. They went to fight a battle that he did not ask them to fight. Why? To glorify themselves? To make it about their thing, their agenda? Promote themselves above other people? Prove their faith and their valor? With the wrong why, we as Christians can be dangerous in all the wrong ways. A thousand years later, there are still organizations and people trying to heal wounds between people groups because some Christians had the wrong why. And part of unpacking your bags means you've gotta acknowledge the mess of this, right? We don't sweep it under the rug. We've gotta own it and see the ways that with the wrong why we've gotten things wrong and learn from it to have the right why, to be the church in our time that has the right why and learns from those when they had it wrong. So what is the why? Why do we do this? Why be the church? A year into my faith, I was introduced to the idea that I will spend eternity trying to wrap my arms around. Went on a mission trip to Costa Rica with 40 college kids, and the first night we all gathered together, and the guy, Delin, who led the ministry, got us together to give some of the who we are and what we're gonna do on this trip, and then he closed that talk out with, why are you guys here? I wanna ask you, why are you here? And everybody in our group had different reasons and stuff. He said, okay, I'm gonna tell you why you're here. Not just in Costa Rica, but why you're on this earth. It was like a drum roll moment. And then he yells in his passionate voice. He goes, you're here to glorify God. And it was the most simple phrase, but it like hit me for the first time of like, that's it? That's why I'm here? That's the whole reason I exist is just simply to glorify God. And I heard him yell it a thousand times. I'm thankful for his voice. He passed away since that trip and his voice will always be in my head for the simplicity of introducing me to an infinitely complex reality of why we do all of this is simply to bring glory to our God. That is why we're here. A few years later, I was on another trip with his ministry and we were, I was a trip leader at this point. There were high school kids on the trip and he was giving a talk one of the nights of the trip and ends it with, hey, let's never forget though, all these things we're doing, why are we doing it? Trying to get all the high school kids like, to glorify God. They're like, oh, to glorify God. <laughs> one of the trip leaders sitting next to me, she rolls her eyes and goes, yeah, we get it, to glorify God. Which is a lot of times our attitude, I think, is the church. And I stopped and said, oh, I'm afraid we don't. Because half the kids here are just trying to meet a boyfriend or a girlfriend. A bunch of them are just trying to get some good content for social media to look like a good person. Am I talking about us or these kids on this mission trip, right? A bunch of us are here to prove ourselves to God. We're trying to, hey God, look at me, I'm on this mission trip, check this out. Maybe this cancels out what I did last summer, you think we're even now? I'm not as bad as you might think, look at me. It left me with this question, I have to ask it about myself all the time. 
Are any of us just here to bring glory to our God? Just to glorify him? Because that's why we're here. John Stott says this, the highest of missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission, important as that is, nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, strong as that incentive is, especially when we contemplate the wrath of God, but rather zeal, burning and passionate zeal for what? For the glory of Jesus Christ. Only one imperialism is Christian, and that is concern for his imperial majesty, Jesus Christ, and for the glory of his empire, his eternal kingdom. We can talk about being the church, but I wanna make sure before we run out of here to go be that, we know why we're gonna go do that for the glory of God, which is kind of a slippery concept. So let's describe it. Here's a great description from a devotion called Awaken from some friends of ours. Consider glory the following, the splendor, majesty, honor, and reputation of God. The Hebrew word most often translated as glory in the Old Testament is kavad. It can refer to weightiness, honor, splendor, the holy and majestic God of the Bible. God makes his glory known to the world as he presents his character, attributes, and actions. On another level, <coughs> sorry. On another level, the term speaks of our delight, boasting, and praise of God. We glorify God as God presents himself in us through our words and actions. We glorify God as we recognize him in our obedience, confession, praise, delight, and service in the world. John Piper says this, glorifying means feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect his greatness, that make much of God, that give evidence of the supreme greatness of all his attributes and the all-satisfying beauty of his manifold perfections, right? Feeling, thinking, doing, living in such a way that it just gives evidence of the supreme greatness of our God. This was what Jesus was all about. He closes the Last Supper by praying, and it starts like this, John 17, 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. He's headed to the cross. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. What does Jesus wanna ha have happen here? For the glory of God to shine on this earth. Father, show them who I am so they can see who you are. And it might sound egotistical for Jesus to go, glorify me until you remember that his glory is leading him to the cross. That's where he's glorified. Matthew Henry says in a commentary, he prays that his father would so grace his sufferings and crown them as not only to take off the offense of the cross, but to make it to those that are saved, the wisdom of God, the power of God. If God had not glorified Christ crucified by raising him from the dead, his whole undertaking had been crushed. Therefore glorify me, raise me from death, that I may glorify thee. Now thereby he hath taught us what to eye and aim at in our prayers and all our designs and desires, and that is the honor of God. It being our chief end to glorify God. Other things must be sought and attended to in subordination and subserviency to the Lord. Jesus is like the Avengers, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes for you to get the glory. If that means me being nailed to a cross, then so be it. Why? In John 17, 24, he's praying for us, for the church, for the people to come. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me 
where I am. This is what he wants for you. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. God, that's what I want. I just want them to be with me, to see my glory forever. When you start to look for the glory of God in scripture, it's everywhere as our chief end. You guys ready for some rapid fire scripture? When the angels announce that Jesus has been born to the shepherds, how do they start? Luke 2, 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Glory to God in the highest heaven, why? Because he's just stepped out of it and been born in a manger to die on a cross so that you can see his glory. Glory to him. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks identity, who, calling, what? You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Unpack your bags and be the light of the world that they may see your good deeds. All of this, why? And glorify your Father in heaven so the world can see him and glorify him, the glory of our God. In that same sermon, Sermon on the Mount, how do we pray, Jesus? How does he start? The Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, honored be your name, revered be your name, glorified be your name. That's our starting posture in life and in prayer. Hallowed be thy name, glorified God. Your kingdom come, not, not ours. Your will be done, not ours. Because you're God. John 12, Jesus is about to go to that last supper. He's ominously like leaving breadcrumbs for his disciples. What's about to go down? He says, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Should I bail on this whole thing? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Here we go. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd heard. Some said it thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. God goes, I've glorified my name and now I will glorify my name. In a world of people wondering what's beyond this, who's out there worshiping all kinds of different things, I'm gonna show them my glory through the death and resurrection of my son. They will see my glory. The apostle Paul, he's on his way to kill Christians on the road to Damascus, right? And then he gets knocked off of his donkey by the glory of God and he never looks back. It's all he talks about from there. He says to the Corinthians, whatever you do, eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. One of the favorite what verses that Paul writes, Romans 12, one, therefore urge, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now you read that, especially if you're not all in on this and go, why would I do that? Offer myself as a living sacrifice to God? My whole life, I'm just gonna pour it out for him? Why would I do that? When the Bible says therefore, when a verse starts with that, it means there was something before that that leads to why you would do that. So go back, Romans chapter 11, at the very end, Paul's talking about the mercy of God and he ends that chapter with this little psalm. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? 
Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him, to him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, go and offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Go be the church. Unpack your bags and show the world this God, the glory of this God. That's what Paul's all about. Romans 15 just keeps talking about it. May the God who gives you endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, unpack your bags and be a unified church, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Skip down to 17. Paul speaking personally. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. That's it. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power and signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. Paul goes, I'm only gonna talk about one thing from here and it's what Jesus has done. That's it. All the glory to him. Revelation one, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father to him. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I could keep going and going and going. We exist to bring glory to God. So what do we do? We receive it and we reflect it. My friend Chad said this, I believe the single most significant thing any human can do is receive the gift of salvation because in that, you take in the perfected nature of Christ and nothing has brought more glory to God than the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And when we receive his gift, we positionally are fully in Christ. Practically, we then spend our lives bringing glory to God by living out the lifestyle and ways of Christ. It's because of Jesus that we get to taste glory today and revel in it forever. Everything we do for the glory of God, when you experience it, you can't help but want to reflect it. John Piper says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. It's a beautiful symbiotic relationship, right? Because when I'm most satisfied in God, when, I, when the gospel is the reality that I'm truly standing on, when that's my why, I don't need the glory. I don't need to promote myself or prove myself to a guy who's already died for me. I just want the glory to go to him. When I am most satisfied, when I'm whole in Christ, when I'm not, it's probably the times when I have given the wrong why off because it's become about me again, my thing, my glory, proving myself, promoting myself. But when we are most satisfied in him, we just go, well, you should get all the glory. It starts to feel silly, quite honestly, to seek glory for yourself when you look at God. I think it's hilarious and so strange when people make more of pastors than just being people in the church doing their part. It's like if you watched an Avengers movie and at the end of the movie, a news reporter came on the camera and was like, well, we've got good news for you. Iron Man has saved the world. And then everybody put that news reporter up on their shoulders and was like, this is the hero. The guy who told us about the guy who saved the world. The guy who told us about the guy who saved the world doesn't get the glory. The guy who saved the world gets the glory. That's why when we look at the book of Acts, we're not ending with like, glory to Luke, man. What an awesome guy. Thank God he wrote this down. Great guy, appreciate him. But he's the storyteller of the one who saved us. And he's the one who gets the glory. When we start to have the why, simply for the glory of God, 
I'm not living for salvation, I'm living from it. When we have that why, then it puts everything else in its proper context. Then we don't rush out there doing things with our agenda and making a mess along the way because we always get brought back to, oh, this is for the glory of God. That's a great question to ask yourself. Is this decision, this thing I'm doing, is this gonna glorify God? It can be a very convicting question. Here's some context to what ultimately matters from Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, millions, or missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad, Psalm 97, one. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Psalm 67, three through four. He says, if the pursuit of God's glory is not ordered above the pursuit of man's good, and the affections of the heart and the priorities of the church, man will not be well served and God will not be duly honored. I am not pleading for a diminishing of missions, but for a magnifying of God. He makes a footnote that when he's talking about worship, he says, I, I'm not talking about worship services, I mean the inner essence of treasuring God in its authentic expressions in what we say and sing and pray and do. But coming together to worship may be the time in your week where you taste it. My grandpa, I was talking to him this week, he's devoted decades of his life to simply unashamedly letting people know about the glory of God. And he said, when we worship, it is hard to glorify ourselves. When we live our lives as a posture of worship, as a living sacrifice to him, it's so hard to make it about us because it should all be about him. In Piper's book, he continues talking about Albert Einstein. There was a guy who kind of watched his life and spoke about him and his skepticism and faith. He always remained kind of on the fringes. He said, Einstein must have looked at what the preachers said about God and felt that they were blaspheming. He had seen much more majesty than they had ever imagined. They were just not talking about the real thing. My guess is he simply felt that religions he'd run across did not have proper respect for the author of the universe for who he is. He is unwittingly belittled. He goes on to talk about scientists who know all the properties, math, craziness of the universe, the speed of light, and our humble little sun, one of billions of stars that we all orbit, we exist, and we can live on this, but all these things, they know all the science and math behind this. And they say, if there is a personal God, as the Christians say, who spoke this universe into being, then there is a certain respect and reverence and wonder and dread that would have to come through when we talk about him and when we worship him. It's not that we make too much of God and that pushes people away, it's that we don't make enough of him and it pushes people away. They look at creation, scientists look at creation and go, this is it? This is the life you're living? This is the joy you have? This is the fullness? You have a God who did this? And this is all, this is all you've got? There's a Greek word doxazo in the New Testament for glory that means valuing him for who he really is. 
The last thing I'll read from Piper before I just read the whole book. He says, God is the absolute reality that everyone in the universe must come to terms with. You may not believe that, but that is the truth. Everything depends utterly on his will. All other realities compare to him like a raindrop compares to the ocean or an anthill compares to Mount Everest. To ignore him or belittle him is unintelligible and suicidal folly. How shall one who has not trembled before this great God with joyful wonder ever be his emissary or his ambassador? What does an ambassador do? We're called to be ambassadors. They go with the why of the one who sent them on behalf, not with their agenda, but with the agenda of the one who sent them. That's who we're called to be, to bring the glory of God to the world. But I think a lot of us don't because we don't experience it. It's been hard this week because I'm like, I'm preaching about a concept that I can't explain to you because I will spend eternity in the wonder of the glory of God. And I can't sell you on this. I just want you to experience it in such a way that you can't help but reflect it for the rest of your life. That's what I want for my buddies. Not for them to feel like they have to become better people or they've gotta prove something to God. I just want them to know the richness and the fullness of our God, how good he is. His love for them, how he feels about them. That's what I want. I look around in this room sometimes during worship and it's like a powerful moment and a bunch of people are just standing there as if like, you just found out you have to do your taxes again. <clears throat> just like nothing. But I've been there. I've stood in church services like, what are these people doing? And I just look at you and I pray for you. I just want you to taste the glory of God, just to experience who he is, his majesty and his splendor. We can beat up the church a lot. It's pretty easy to do that. We've made a mess in a lot of different ways and we have to own that. But we also need to unpack our, in unpacking our bags, we need to celebrate the legacy of the church and who the church has been. Because while there have been ugly things that happened when people had the wrong why, there's been countless Christians through history with the right why, bringing the glory of God here. That's a legacy that we have. That stuff doesn't make the news. The scandal makes the news. The humble Christian who's just showing the world the glory of God, that doesn't make the news. In 250 AD, there was a plague in Rome that was wiping out two-thirds of the population. They were throwing people out into the streets to die so they wouldn't infect other people. You know what the church did in this pandemic? Stay inside and argue about politics with each other? No. They went out into the streets and served these people, tried to help them, tried to save them, prayed with some of them as they died. And it caught the attention of Rome. Some of these Christians themselves died. They got infected and died in serving these people. And Rome looks at them and goes, why would you do that? Why the heck would you do that? Give up your life simply to spend some last minutes with somebody else for the glory of God, for a dying person to get to hear with their last breaths the beauty of the God who saved them, a church that knows that Jesus came for us in our last breaths when we had nothing. And they went out into the streets, caught the attention of everybody. Hospitals exist because of the church. In the fourth century, they decreed next to every church there had to be a hospital for the glory of God so the church could be the hands and feet of Jesus and be with people in their darkest moments, reaching death, that they could share the glory of God with them. Adoption and foster care started as a church thing. Christian people bailing babies out of dumpsters 
in an empire like Rome where they would cast unwanted children away to die. It was Christians who went and got them and raised them. Why? So they could know the glory of their heavenly father. All through history, Christian people at the forefront of fighting for other people so that they could see the glory of God, the love of God. William Wilberforce, a man who, because of his faith, gave everything to fight and lead to the abolishment of slavery in the UK, which led to and influenced the abolishment of slavery in the US. Why? Because every tribe, tongue, and nation will worship Jesus. Every human deserves the dignity and respect and freedom that God has for us. Christians have fought for women's rights and kids' rights and prison reform, all these things following the lead of Jesus for the glory of God for every human being to be able to experience the glory of God. You can see the beauty and glory of God in art and music and education. Heck, science. Science actually started as Christians seeking to understand more of the glory of God. And over centuries, people have tried to hijack that and use it to disprove God, but it only reveals more and more of his glory as we study the universe and creation more and more. This stuff just doesn't make the news. Last year, the church in America outgave the government. The government's not gonna tell you that. It's the church being the church. Generous, sacrificial, living sacrifices. Why? For the glory of God. Seen in the city, in the church in this city, when we came down here to scout out Austin as a potential place to plant this church, we went and met with some of the leaders at the Austin Stone. And I didn't know walking into that meeting, what does another church say when you tell them, we're gonna come plant a church maybe in your city? Would they be like, how about you go somewhere else? We've got this covered. But what they said was, we pray that you would choose Austin. Come to Austin. We're praying that God would hasten the day that Red Rocks is in Austin. Why? Because we need more churches, more places for people to come and experience the glory of God. Because they're not about their thing. They're about the glory of God being made known in Austin. See it in people in this church, our volunteers, our kids' volunteers, that sacrifice being in there instead of being in here. Why? Dealing with your punk kids? Why? So you can experience the glory of God in here while your kids experience the glory of God from a young age in there. My wife and her crew have spent the last six months developing uh, volunteer training and a parent portal onboarding process for uh, a sensory room for families with kids with special needs so we can better serve them in this church. That's her passion. And of course, the why is because we want those families to have a home church and be able to come to church and experience the glory of God. But if you ask my wife, she'll say, we really actually need that population in our church because we need to learn about the glory of God from them. We need them here. There's a guy named Benjamin who got baptized a few weeks ago. And he has every reason not to unpack his bags. He experienced tremendous church hurt, racism in the church. And he walked away for a while but eventually he made the decision to say, you know what, I'm not gonna let some people who had the wrong why stop me from receiving and reflecting the glory of God to the world. And that dude sits in the front row on Saturday nights because he's a real one. And he's got his notepad out, he's taking notes, he's smiling, he's mentoring guys in this church. Why? For the glory of God. Even the painful parts of his story, God, let it be used for your glory. That's Christian maturity right there. I realize this is a simple concept, but to wake up every day and say, whatever happens, good, bad, ugly, God, let it be for your glory, use it for your glory, that, that takes deep Christian maturity. But I see it. I see it in Emily, our worship leader. She lost her dad a few years ago. 
and through grief and mourning and pain and all that she's walked through, confusion, anger, all the things you feel in loss. She has continued week in and week out to get back up on this stage and lead us. Why? For the glory of God. Her chief end is that we would experience the glory of God. I look at somebody who's walking through that, who still continues to lead us in worship and I go, your God must be pretty great. He must be pretty great. Benjamin, your God must be pretty great for you to be back here worshiping him, telling other people about him. He must be pretty great after all you've been through. Our partners that are planning churches in unreached places where it's never been before, I was talking to one of them this weekend, he was like, I was just like, this is so cool. Tell me about this story and this story. I'm like, man, this stuff's all awesome that you guys are doing. He goes, yeah, 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 but never forget that it all starts with our why. You can see it on our website. We just wanna see God's name glorified in the nations, in the places that it's not. That's all, that's why. He told me about some Christians in a closed country that can be killed for their faith, who have creatively found a place where they can meet together. They still are risking their lives, but it strategically is a little bit safer. They may not be found by the secret police. They get together and all they do is worship. They read their Bibles and they worship, they sing songs. Why? For the glory of God, because he's worthy of it all. He is worthy of it all. You might be sitting in here like, I don't know that I've tasted that. I don't know that I care about that. What do I do? Just take a page out of Moses's book. Exodus 33, Moses is a pretty bold guy. He's talking to God up on a mountain. And it says, then Moses said, now show me your glory. What a great thing to say to God. Just show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. He goes, bro, I love you. If you see the fullness of my glory, it's gonna disintegrate you. That's how powerful I am. But I will let my goodness pass in front of you. Isn't it cool that Moses asked to see glory and God responds with goodness? We can see the glory of God in his power and his might and the ocean and the sunset, all kinds of ways but it may be that he has chosen his main way, his top way of showing us his glory is through his goodness to us, through sending his son Jesus here to die for us and rise to give us eternal life. God, show me your glory. We've got a world that needs the goodness of God to pass in front of them, to see it from us, right? We're on the other side of Jesus. The veil has been torn, the spirit is within us. The glory of God is in and through us. That's the plan now. We get to reflect, we get to show the glory of God to a world that desperately needs to see it. And I think they look at the church and they go, hey, you have your opinions and your politics and all those kinds of things, that's fine. But you know what we'd really like to see from you? Hey church, show us the glory of your God. Show us the power of your God. Show us the might of your God. Show us the splendor of your God, the majesty of your God. Show us who he is. Show us the grace of your God. Show us the love of your God. Show us the peace of your God. Show us the joy and the hope of your God. Show him to us. The one who made all of that out there, if he wants a personal relationship with me, he sent his son, show me that God. I wanna know that God. Church, show us the goodness of your God. Show us the glory of your God. That's what they need to see. The world desperately needs to just see and experience the glory of our God. That's why we exist. I'll finish with one last story. Close the series up with this. There's a story in the book of Acts 
where Paul is doing miracles, casting out demons, amazing things happening. There's this other group, the seven sons of Sceva, they've got like their cool band name. They're Jewish exorcists. <coughs> and they're trying to cast demons out of people. So they go, all right, we're gonna try to do what Paul's been doing. We heard that that's working. They go to this man who's demon possessed. By the way, I preached about the devil and Jesus casting demons into a bunch of pigs a few weeks ago. And apparently everybody in this church is just cool with that. We get complaints about everything. Nobody complained about that. So this is normal to you guys. So it's fine, we're just telling the story. So they go, come out of this man in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. And the demon speaks back to them and goes, Jesus I know, very well aware of Jesus. He's caused us eternal destruction. And Paul I've heard of, he's got a reputation in the kingdom of hell. And then goes, but who are you? Which is the most passive aggressive way of saying that. Who are you? The seven sons of Sceva, cool name. You're not on our list of threats. And then those guys get the crap beat out of them. It goes south. It says in scripture, they run out naked and bleeding. Like, you got beat up if you're naked at the end of a fight. I have two takeaways from that story. Number one is those guys, this went south because they had the wrong why. They wanted it to be about them. We want the glory here. We wanna be known as the guys who can cast demons out of people. This is our thing. I think that the kingdom of hell looks at that and goes, hey, if you wanna make this whole life and your whole agenda all about you, then you're just doing us a favor. Keep on going, but I'm still gonna beat you up before you get out of here. They had the wrong why. But those demons, they, they knew who Paul was. An ordinary man, they knew who he was. Why? Because his why was always just the glory of God. He just wanted people to know Jesus and hear the story of Jesus and see the glory of God. That's it. And was causing them tremendous problems. Which leads me to my other takeaway. I wanna be a church with that kind of a reputation. I want the kingdom of hell to go, oh, Red Rocks, we've heard of them. I don't want them to look at us and go, who are you? Doing your little church thing, playing your little church game, that's cute. Keep on making it about you. You're not on our threat list. No, no, no. I want them to go, they are causing us tremendous problems in Austin and far beyond. People that are bringing, being brought from darkness into light because they are so all about people knowing Jesus and seeing the glory of God and they just won't quit. They won't stop. That's the kind of church that I wanna be. Would you guys stand to your feet? We are the church. We're in this together. Let's unpack our bags and be it. With the who and the what in place, yeah on the foundation of the why, all for the glory of God. May we make some noise and cause some problems for the kingdom of hell because we have devoted our lives to just reflecting the glory of God to the world. Would they see it through us? Jesus, would the world see your glory through us?